Welcome to the Clubhouse Podcast. I'm Shane Bacon. Uh, we have a few days to digest what went down on Sunday at the Masters. A crazy, crazy final run, obviously, at Augusta National. I'm finally done with the pimento cheese sweats, and uh, I'm happy to bring in a, a good friend of mine who you really listened to pretty much all week if you had your computers up. Grant Boone, part of uh, CBS Sports online coverage, part of CBS Sports and part of Golf Channel. You can follow him at Grant Boone. Uh, that's all one together. And uh, Grant, first, we appreciate you coming on. How are you feeling after all this? Well, probably a little better than Jordan Spieth, <laughs> but still trying to, to wrap my head around it. You said it's you know, t- we have Tuesday to, to make sense of it. We need a couple of days, don't we? I think so. And you and I had a chance to chat Sunday night uh, following the final round. I mean, you called the aim and corner action. You called uh, most of the coverage on Thursday and Friday that everybody was listening to when they were when they were at work, not working. Um, but we both had that, you know, did you just see a ghost look on our faces following all that? Um, as you're calling the action live on Sunday, you see Spieth unraveling, you know, this kind of unprecedented moment for, for Jordan Spieth over his career. How hard is it for you to stay in your lane as a broadcaster and not turn into a fan who wants to see history made? That's a great question. I will tell you that, uh, that I don't pull for any one particular golfer over another but I do pull for great stories. I, you know, I, I think you ask any basketball or football or hockey or baseball play-by-play man or woman, and they're going to tell you they want a great game. They don't want a 30-point blowout in basketball. They don't want a rout. They don't want the, the Broncos Seahawks. They want Patriots Seahawks, you know. Um, so you do want great stories. And so as uh, you talk about staying in your lane, you know, I was with, with Billy Ray Brown, the longtime PGA Tour winner and, and uh, now broadcaster like uh, myself, CBS Sport and Golf Channel. And we have one eye. We have, we have, a, we have all the different angles. You know, in, our, in our broadcast position at Amen Corner, we've got the different camera angles for all the different shots that are being uh, hit there around Amen Corner. But we also have one monitor that's on the CBS television broadcast. So we were able to, out of the corner of our eyes between commercials and, and, and during, you know, the, the, the random, uh, you know, walk up to the ball or whatever, when we weren't talking, uh, we were able to see what was going on elsewhere. So staying in the lane for me was, you know, let's don't say, here's Danny Willett for birdie at 14. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> that's not name and corner, uh, you know. So what what really I found fascinating uh, on that in those crucial moments on Sunday was that you can see as historic as a collapse as it was or a choke or whatever term you want to use as huge as those few moments were you then begin to see ah it's really not that hard it's not that hard for it to turn around. The bogey he made at 10 was, was one in which uh, any, almost anyone could have made. He, he, he did hit his tee shot a little bit further right than he wanted. That left him in the bunker at 10. Then, uh, as, as, uh, as I heard from someone who had followed him around, uh, our buddy Joe Gilliland, uh, who, who had followed him around on Mondays, he was playing a practice round, he hit a, a bunker shot from that same bunker over the green at 10. So naturally, he leaves it 15 or 16 feet short for his par, then misses the putt for par. Then you get to 11, blocks his tee shot again. Hard tee shot, make no mistake. 
but it was the second time that he'd been over there uh, in, in the trees. So he punches out, almost jars his third. And think about this. Can you imagine if that thing spins in? I mean, how much did it miss by? A few inches? It just short it of spun, it. It was, it was, oh it was my flying all over it. I mean, it, and, oh, and, it's, you, and you mentioned, you know, you mentioned Willett's fort on 14, you know, when he, when he hits that great shot and you're, you're, you're trying not to call the action there. I was, you know, I was on social media saying, if Willett makes three on 14 and, and Spieth makes bogey there at 11, you know, we've got ourselves a golf tournament. And then he hits the shot, and it looks like, oh, well, he's going to save par. The guy's an alien. I mean, he just can't make a bogey, you know, when it, when it seems like he, he can't afford one. And, and then he goes on to, to, to miss that putt there. Exactly. And, and so it's really interesting. about uh, Before Willett's group, it was, it was the Cabrera-Rose group. And that was the first group of the day that began the day within six shots of the lead. And when Rose got to Amen Corner, if I'm not mistaken, he was two over. And at the time, he was probably, Spieth was probably four or five, maybe. Uh, and so he was six or seven shots back. And so what Billy Ray and I, what I asked Billy Ray, uh, and what we wound up discussing as we watched Cabrera and Rose is, how do you, as a, do you as a player, are you still thinking you're in it if you're Justin Rose? And, 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 let's, and so we got into this whole discussion about, just keep stacking as many birdies as you can up there. And if it's not enough and you lose by six, as it looked like everybody was going to, you tip your cap, you say, this guy's a freak and good on you. And I'll try to get you at Oakmont, you know, but, but you stack up the birdies just to make sure that in case he does something like he had done the first couple of days, that you're, you're at least in position to capitalize. Well, by the time speed uh, got to, it was really cool because by the time Spieth bogeys uh, 10, it's 6 to 2, Spieth over Willett. But by the time, as you say, by the time he uh, uh, gets to the tee at 11, Willett's on 13. He gets, Willett got, uh, Willett hit the green at 13 and 2. Willett two putts, made a very nice putt there. He also made a terrific putt at 12. Uh, in fact, his tee shot at 12, just, it hung about three feet to the right of that front bunker. I'm telling you, he was inches away from it spinning back down the bank and into the water himself. Matsuyama had hit it up there Saturday when the whole location was, was right in the middle. And, uh, and, that's, and that's, those are the only two balls I saw in that exact same spot all week. And Willett was there, ran his second shot from off the green about five or six feet past made the comebacker, made the birdie at 13. So when he makes the birdie at 13, it's now 6-3. Well, by the time Spieth is over the putt at 11 for par, as you say, it's 6-4. Right. And, th and then Spieth bogeys. I'm telling you, my, my whole point there is, when you see it happen, you start to think, Yes, I, you certainly can't see the seven. I'm not saying you can see the seven coming at 12, but you can see how it tightens. And so Billy Ray and I had actually been talking about that for about 45 minutes before it happened. It, it reminds me, Shane, I know you're a fan of all sports. You know, the Red Sox, they get the stolen base in the ninth inning from Dave Roberts. Then they get the tie. Then they win that first game of the ALCs. Now it's 3-1. Right. And, and then it, it – don't – when you see it happen, you start to think, yes, I can totally see this turning around. It, it never does, 
and, and so sometimes we write teams off at 3-0, but you think, what would one win do? Absolutely. And most of the time when it's 3-0, it, it turns into 4-0. Yeah, you know, I mean, and it's it, a it reminded me, I mean, I, and I went to University of Arizona, and this is a, a brutal thing to think about myself, but I've, I've thought about it, compared it to the Arizona-Illinois game, you know, when Arizona was in total command, was going to go to the Final no. Four, and it was just every little thing that could go wrong did. So I, I want to take you back to 12T, okay? Yeah. I've heard a lot of people, you, no, nobody watched the 12th hole more than you did the entire week. I mean, you were on it the entire time. I mean, you, you're seeing every shot that's being hit there. It seemed like Spieth played that shot and that hole a little quicker, especially the tee shot, than he had all week. Did, did, did that seem like something you noticed? I, I noticed him uh, a little. It's, again, he may say, oh, you're crazy, you're making that up, and, and maybe I am. I noticed him a little quicker around Amen Corner um, a couple of times. On Saturday, he was seemingly in control of the tournament. He gets to he hits a tee shot that for him couldn't have been any better. Long and straight. McElroy was playing with him, pulls his tee shot left, tries to hit a a little uh, hooded you know low running shot while it ran all the way into the the water left, and McElroy made double. Speed from the middle of the fairway hits his second shot, and as soon as he hits, it says ah, I bailed on it, and so now he's over right of the green. And it was the whole location that it's not technically front right because it's an odd shaped green, but it's as front and as right as you can get, you know, that Saturday hole location, which means if you're right of the green, you're going to have a very, very different. It's the harder, the farther away you are from the green, the harder the shot's going to be because you've got to almost die it on the fringe and then have it trickle on. And if it trickles on, it will get all the way to the hole. What people usually do is it, They'll either put it all the way uh, 20, 25 feet past the hole down the slope, as Spieth did, or they'll leave it right there in the fringe. You just don't see many people get it exactly right because it's such an exacting shot. Well, Spieth got up there, and Matt was making a, an abject mess of the hole, okay? But Spieth kind of gets up there, and it's a shot that requires a lot. It requires a delicate touch, and he kind of walked up and just hit it. And it goes bounding down the slope, 25, 30 feet. Well, then he three-putted. He got way too aggressive with that first putt. He would have been far better off just lagging it. But, you know, he's in grind. I mean, he's in master's mode where he's dominated and runs it four, foot, four feet past the hole. And I'm telling you, you'd rather have 10 feet below the hole there at 11 on that, with that location than, four, than two feet above it just about. Well, he misses it. In fact, made about a five-footer coming back for double. Right. So I thought he was a little hurried there. I didn't notice as much of a hurry at 12, but wasn't it fascinating to go back and hear him later say, I wasn't disciplined. The deal with Spieth is never that he's going to wow you with his ball hitting. Now, it's better than we sometimes think it is because we tend to compare it to Day and McElroy, right? But he's, he's tended. We don't think of him as a – he's a better ball he's, – he's a way better ball striker than we, get, than we sometimes think of it, but that's only because he's such a great putter. This, this was I used to say this with Mark O'Meara. O'Meara had stretches where he was a tremendous hitter of the ball, but O'Meara was always more about just finding a way to get it in the hole, and I right. think about that with Spieth. So it's not that Spieth could, could hit a bad shot. That's not what was stunning. What was stunning was that we, we thought that, A, if he was anything, he was disciplined and made the right decision. We, as he always says, we made the right decision. And then, B, that... He, he was impervious 
to pressure. Not that he didn't ever feel it, but he didn't ever succumb to it. And, and that's exactly what he essentially admitted. Yeah, I mean, after it, the round. It, and and you know what what I what I kept pulling from this when when it was all happening when it was when the train wreck was occurring on twelve, what I kept thinking was if you go back and watch, you know, you know how they replay the two thousand fifteen two thousand fourteen Masters. They cut it down to thirty oh, yeah. minutes, and you can see it on you know CBS, and you can see it on Golf yeah. Channel at times. You know when Spieth talks about his tee shot on twelve last year. All he talks about is how he learned so much from 2014 when he hit it in the water. You know, he right. talks, I learned you can't do this. You've got to hit it in the middle of the green. And he does it. So, but my, my thing on that especially was that was a bad golf swing. He made a bad golf swing on the tee and it went in the water. I want to take you to his drop. You were there all week. Did you see anybody that hit it in the water go over to the area he went to and try to hit that 80-yard pitch shot? Yes. We saw, uh, and let's just remind folks, you have some options there. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, like when you, at 17 at Sawgrass, for example, you're either going to re-tee it or you're going to play from the drop area. Right. There really are no other options. At Augusta Nationals 12th, you do have some options. You can say, where, where do I, what angle do I want to take? What yardage do I want? Because it's a yellow hazard line. You, you, can, you can go back as far as you want, including all the way to the tee. So there were players. If, if, if you were to look back, you couldn't see it now because Augusta National is so immaculate. They, they fill those divot holes immediately. But you would see guys who had played from a variety of places. We saw Ian Poulter very, earlier in, uh, very early in the day uh, almost hole his third. In fact, he spun it right past the hole and left himself an uphill putt for a bogey. And, and later, Spieth said, that's why I went to that place. I wanted to... I wanted to land it, have it bound forward, and then spin back to the place where it landed. That's, that, was the, that was the plan. And instead, he just absolutely hit. Well, he, hit he hit a shot that probably uh, would resemble a lot of the shots that were, were struck Monday in the media lottery day <laughs> at Augusta National. That's exactly right. We're, I've called it the worst golf shot he's probably ever hit in his career. I'm sure he would probably agree. You know, it was. It's the worst golf shot that almost any professional has ever hit. There, that that was everyone's hit horrendous golf shots who's played the PGA Tour. That that is as bad as I, I've got to believe as any pro has ever hit. And so, you know, he makes that number there. He makes quadruple bogey to be. By the way, in 2014, when he hit it in the water, he got up and down. He for got bogey up and to down. At least for, stay in it. Right, and and you know, the, and again, I mean, I, I've said this a lot. I wrote about it on FoxSports.com. A lot of people aren't giving Spieth credit for staying in it. Now, he wasn't in it on that shot, but he hits the next one in that back bunker and gets it up and down. And as you know, not an easy up and down from the bunker, right? I mean, a lot of people oh, didn't do that. That was amazing. Yeah. That was intri- what, what if that was his third? Right. What if he just said, I, I've got to, I, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take my medicine. I'm going to, uh, in fact, he used the term, I'm going to take on 11 when he hit it in the trees. He, uh, he said on Sunday, he said, I'm just going to take my medicine and punch out. What if he had said, I'm going to hit it in the back bunker? Worst case, I make six, and, and we're in this thing. But, you're, you know, it's easy to say now. He's not thinking six. He's right. thinking, let's, let's hit a shot. Actually, you know what? At that moment, he really wasn't thinking much at all. And I think right. he admitted as much. Yeah, and I mean, he said. You but know, he, he did it. stay in it. You're right. He stayed in it. And, and then we get to 13. And I, I've compared a lot to Rory in 2011. And Rory falls apart on 10. 
Bogey's 11, doubles 12, hits it left on 13, and, and really imploded. I mean, in every in every definition of the word, in every way that we've seen chokes happen in golf, that was Rory on that four and five hole stretch. Spieth has it, and Spieth admitted, I can bogey 10, I can bogey 11. Those are really tough holes, probably two of the four toughest holes at Augusta National. Gets to 13, hits a great tee shot, hits it up there, makes his birdie. I, I wanted you to, you know, were you... Were you surprised at the bounce back he had so quickly after having that complete meltdown on the par three? No, I, I wasn't at all. In fact, what we, uh, in fact, I, I frankly, I was expecting him to bounce back at 12 because when he made double at 11 on Saturday and you're thinking the wheels are coming off, he, he, he's down to three under. He then hits a, he hits a, in fact, he, he retained the honor with McElroy because they both doubled. <laughs> he hits it right above the hole. 18 feet, McElroy hits it to about six feet, seven feet, right after him, Spieth drains it. for it. So he goes 6-2 at 11 and 12. So I frankly was expecting, in fact, that was my setup. To, I said, you know, uh, trying to build the drama right before he pulled the trigger. I said, Spieth needs a bounce back. Can he get it? Tee shot at 12. Boom, and it just hits in the water. So, so I wasn't surprised once he hit the tee shot at, at 13, uh, he was in the go zone. Now, here, let, let, let me go back to something that, that kind of uh, speaks to what I think was just a, a week of odd decision-making and, and odd uh, occurrences that, that for Spieth. Saturday, hits a tee shot right down the middle. He's got 240 yards, okay, 245. He's probably had 205, 210, something like that to carry. Whole location on Saturday was back left, okay, so up on that tier. He's got 245 all the way to the hole. Well, you don't want to get it all the way to the hole because you don't want to risk going back over the back of the green on, on with that hole location because it's tough up and down. He deliberates, and we had 90 of the most glorious seconds. It was some of my best work. I said Zippo for 90 seconds. <laughs> and it's, it's Michael Greller and Jordan Spieth. Go, deliberating whether or not to go for the green and two. It's Saturday. He's got the lead. He's just made birdie. He's back up by two, and he, they're going back. And, and he—you can hear him say, "It's not a—it's not an easy par, even if I lay up, because you know if you lay up, now you've got to try to either skip it up the hill, and if you skip—if you try to skip it up there, you run the risk of it going over the green if it doesn't grab, or most likely." You, you hit it up there and it kind of spins back a little bit. And even if you try to deaden it, it doesn't take much. You're going to air on that side. It's going to roll all the way down the slope and you're going to have 30, 40 feet for birdie. So they're really going back and forth. And he, and he was upset. He was concerned about the wind. And he said, you know what? He said, if the wind was totally laying down, I think we go for it. But I, I think the call here is to lay up and try to make birdie that way. Well, he laid up. Billy Ray Brown was really surprised. And he's right in the middle of the fairway, perfect, perfect position. And, and it, you know, it, it did bring memories back of Chip Beck and a diff, totally different situation. That was Sunday, 93, not Saturday. And he wasn't playing with the lead. He was chasing. And, but, it, 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 you know, you, you got the idea of fortune favors the bold or whatever. Of course, you could argue that he was too bold on Sunday. And that's right. what got him into trouble at 12. So he, 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 you, the point is, if you make the shot, you're a genius. And if you don't, you're an idiot, you know, and isn't that the way it is? Uh, for for goofballs like us who who cover it and try to try to uh, you know uh, give our opinions on it. So at 13 he he hits the. I really thought 
when he was in the fair, I thought, here's a chance for him to get all of the momentum back, not all of the, not all of the lead back, but to get all of the momentum back. Hit a second shot up there, somewhere you know on that lower level. Give yourself a putted eagle, and all of a sudden, you would be back to three under par with an eternity, what would seem like an eternity, to play. Instead, he makes. Uh, well, of course, at the time, Willick was four. Right. Let, 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 let's say that. So he was three shots back. If he makes eagle, it's four three. Right. See, Willett was at 15 at the time. And, and instead, he just tugged it a little. Understandable. Almost everybody did it. And so he's now it kind of trickled off the back. And that is a really, really tough up and down. And he did get it up and down. He made his putt, and he got it to two. So now it's four to two. And Willett missed his birdie at 15, so it's still four two. So I'm, I'm not surprised he came back, but I'll tell you this. I was thinking this going into the week. I was thinking about it with McElroy, and, and you may have some, some memories that, that uh, I haven't thought of. You don't find very often a player have a lead, blow it in the final round, and still come back and win. You just don't see it. Um, McElroy, Greg Norman. Uh, even as late as 15 on Sunday in 96, Norman had a, an eagle pitch that rolled right over the edge. If that goes in, maybe, maybe but, but by then he's already behind. Right. So Norman didn't give up. It's not like he gave up, but by 16 when he hit the water, it was over. Spieth, uh, you know, I, I thought if he eagles this, man, he's got a shot. But, but the reality is you just don't see very many people blow a lead and then get it back. The, the, the one exception I can think of, off the top of my head, and I'm sure there are others, but you, you get my bigger point, it doesn't happen often. Right. McElroy at Valhalla. I was thinking the same one. Had the one. lead going into That's Sunday. That's what I was thinking as well. And at one point, Fowler, I think, had the lead. Henrik Stinson had the lead. Mickelson was right there. And, Fa- and McElroy hit that low stud missile on the 10th that he even said wasn't very well, you know, what did he, he didn't hit it purely. Yeah, he said he necked it. He just nuked it. Yep. He necked, he necked it 290 yeah, or whatever, 310. We should all have necks. I you know. know like I, wish, Rory I wish I, I wish we could hit it like that, but he bounced back and, and, and I saw he, on Twitter. So he did come back and win. Yeah. yeah and he, and he came back and, and won that thing on the 18th, obviously with a little bit of controversy as well. You, you compared on Twitter. You said, this felt a little bit like the 2007 Masters. Can you can you kind of yeah, expand on yeah. that? Yeah, um, it, it got me to thinking. Um, 2007, first of all, the weather conditions reminded me a lot of 07. Chilly, windy, difficult to score. Um, you you had um, you had Stuart Appleby, really good player in position. He was leading going into the final round. Um, Tiger was playing in the final group final pairing with Appleby uh it was the whole week was just chilly and cold and it was it was Easter weekend and and Zach Johnson was was around certainly it wasn't he was he kept himself in it and played well but Johnson was was a few couple of groups ahead posted the number and and that was the that was the first time ever that Tiger he didn't have the lead going into the day but he did get the lead on Sunday Early Sunday, because Appleby got into trouble pretty early. Right. And Tiger, it was the first time Tiger had ever had a lead in the final round and not converted. So, there, there, believe me, there, there are plenty of differences. 
but it with the weather, with the high scores, you know, Zach won at plus one. It was the first time in 51 years since Jackie Burke uh, came from eight shots back. It, it was the highest winning score in 51 years, plus one. And the, the, the dominant figure, the guy you were expecting to win it, didn't get it done when he had a chance to get it done. Uh, in fact, I think Tiger even dunked his second shot in the bunker at 17, that front bunker like Speed did that day. And, Speed, and Speed so says it, not, not even close is what he said when that yeah, ball left his yeah, club. That's not, that's, not even, that's not even going to come close, yeah. And, and so Tiger didn't blow the day like Spieth did at, at, at 12. But the point is, think of the narrative. Now the dominant guy has the lead. He's going to go on to win like he always seems to do. And then out of nowhere, come, seemingly, comes a guy to win it who was an unexpected winner but not a shocking, not not a not a shocking winner. It wasn't that it wasn't that Zach Johnson w- was someone you'd never heard of. He he played on a Ryder Cup team the year before. Uh, he he had already won multiple times on tour. He was a a guy who had been on tour for about two or three years. Willett's been out there for a, a few years now. Willett had had played better in majors than Zach had. Willett, I think, you know, obviously was in contention at the Open last year. Then Zach won. Uh, so, so it wasn't that Willett, it's like, Danny Willett, who's he? Well, I was 12th in the world. Right. Now, Zach was 56th in the world. I went back and double-checked. He was 56th in the world. So, as I say, some differences. The point is, it's not that Zach Johnson won a Masters, although if there were any that you'd think he'd win, that might be the one you least expected. But the whole week was unexpected. You didn't expect it to be cold or windy or didn't expect par to be a good score or for Jason Day and Bubba Watson and Jordan Spieth to shoot 41s on, on the second nine during the tournament. It, it, was, it was a week for the unexpected. And, and so Danny Willett is a perfectly deserving and not altogether surprising major champion. If I told you that in 2018 Danny Willett was going to win a major, you'd say, that's about right. Yeah, yeah he's 12th sure. in the world. He's, he's, he's trending that way, and maybe got there a teeny bit earlier than than we might have thought. Same with Zach Johnson, uh, and the guy. It's just that the guy we expected to win didn't. Right, and will it? I mean, you know, when you go back for people that obviously don't pay a ton of attention to Danny Willett or the European Tour. I mean, this is a guy won the Omega European Masters. I mean, he won the Omega Dubai Desert Classic. He finished third at the Cadillac Championship. He finished fourth at the Ned Bank Championship and the D, in the Dubai World Tour Championship. I mean. This guy top fives and top tens all the time in worldwide events. He's a really good player. We just don't see him much. So obviously deserving. I just you being there on twelve around Amon Corner to me is just so cool to get your perspective on those moments. And I wanted to see if you could encapsulate everything that happened on twelve, everything that happened with Jordan Spieth in that moment in that 12, 14, 16 minutes of that hole going through in the quadruple bogey. If you had one word to describe what you were seeing, what, what, what would you pick there? Can it be a hyphenated word? Absolutely. <laughs> Hyphenate this one. Career changing. Don't, don't misunderstand what I mean by that. Career changing can be good, bad, or neutral. But it is career changing. It, it, Tiger Woods failing to, to hold the, the, the four-shot weekend lead at, at Hazeltine was career changing. Right. What happened to him later that November at Thanksgiving weekend? That was career changing. It, it now he came back and won eight times. I, I I'll tell you this: if if I had to pick one guy to win at Oakmont, 
well, first of all, picking anyone to win, unless you're Shane Bacon, <laughs> who picked right. Danny Willett. Uh, my only time insane. ever getting it right. By the way, uh, I had a, my, uh, a, a good friend of mine send me a, a text on, on Wednesday night saying he was in a Masters draft. He said, give me some names of some guys. I don't know anything about golf. And so I gave him, uh, he said, how about a sleeper? And I said, how about Danny Willett? So he, he sent me a, he buzzed me on Monday and said, thanks for your picks. I won, uh, I won both, I won both the overall and the individual because <laughs> for, we all had four picks. Tell him you need a, so tell him you need a cut of that. Tell him you need a bookie cut no, of 5 no, or 10%. Oh, I mean, there's there's I, no question. Absolutely. There will be a variety of ways he can pay me back, but career changing. <laughs> it is career changing. Uh, and, and this goes back to what we opened this podcast with. I root, uh, and I'm, I know I'm not alone. I root for great stories. I root, uh, for history. I want to see, and, and this is selfish of me and it probably isn't totally, totally the right thing always, but I, it's like, I'm selfish. I want to see history on my watch. I want to see the next Jack Nicklaus. That was why there was a part of me that did pull for Tiger Woods to do something heroic. And so I wasn't pulling for or against Danny Willett. I wanted to see something spectacular. We saw something spectacular. It was spectacularly awful for Spieth. <laughs> and so there was a part of me that did want to see history. He would have been the youngest in 90 years with three majors. He would have been the youngest in 90 years to successfully defend a major. Now what he is, is just really, really good. But he's, he's, he's not divine. He, yeah. He's, he's mortal. I, I, and I, I, don't, I don't want to see mortal. I see mortal every day when I look in the mirror. <laughs> I want to see the divine. I want to see the sublime. And this was this went from the sublime to the ridiculous in in you know two swings. It, and it, it, you know it's it's the same feeling, and I think you'll probably agree with me on this. I'm watching the British Open last year at St Andrews, and Spieth misses that par putt on 17. Hit, hits an amazing pitch shot on on the road hole to give himself even a chance for par. Oh, misses no that doubt, putt, no doubt. Gets to 18, hits the big old pool that almost goes into the stands on the left and the, on the widest golf hole in the world. And then misses that shot in the Valley of the Sin. And that moment when that putt, and again, hit a good putt. It's just an area that only one human ever can hole out from. He hits that putt, and it was just all of the air went out of the sails. And and, and again, we had a good playoff. We had Zach Johnson trying to win at the Masters in St. Andrews and Oosthuizen and Leishman with a great story with his wife and all these good storylines. But it was just that feeling like, well, history's done now. you know. And you just were a little bit bummed for no reason other than, we're selfish at times because we want to see greatness. Now, I wanted to ask you, we've, we've talked speed, we've talked this Masters, you've been at the Masters since 1996. Was was this, it's not the best Masters ever. I mean, I think of 11 or, or 05 or 04. I mean, there's so many Masters that have been amazing in the last few years. But was this the most surprising Masters you've ever covered? Schwartzel birdieing four straight holes was surprising, as fate would have it. I was blessed because uh, we were. We, I was doing featured groups that year, and once we did our morning group of whoever Mickelson and, and or whoever else it was, they said we're going to give you Choi and Schwartzel, and I was like, okay, I, I don't get to choose. I just take whoever they give me. And keep in mind, there's five, six, seven guys with a chance to win this thing. I'm thinking, give me Tiger, give me Jason Day, give me Adam Scott. They give me Schwartzel and Choi, and I got to call 
four straight birdies to win the first guy ever to do it. So that, that to me stands out as surprising. I'd say Trevor Immelman uh, kind of holding off Tiger and Brant Snedeker, not Snedeker that had ever been in that position before at that point, but Immelman was a surprise winner for sure. And, and, and the Zach Johnson thing certainly was surprising. Uh, again, not that he was a shocking winner and he's validated it by the way he's played since then, including the, even before he won the open, he validated it in my opinion, but, then he caps it off with a second major. And so there, there are years where there are surprises, but this wasn't surprising. This was shocking. There you go. That's probably right. My first and last masters have, to me, very different in so many ways with Norman and Spieth, but both had shocking, almost historically shocking Sunday finishes and and 12 and Eamon Corner was right in the middle of it. Here's one thing I remember from, in fact, I followed Paldo and Norman around. I was working for a radio network back then, and I followed those guys around uh, every hole and and, and every uh, hour would go and file a radio report of about 30 or 45 seconds with an update. And as I listened back to those later, it was like, uh, Greg Norman, 18 holes away from becoming the first Australian to ever win the Masters. He and Paldo about to tee off. Coming up in uh, 20 minutes. I'm Grant Boone for USA Radio Network. You know, uh, then the next hour. Greg Norman's lead is down to four. He still leads. Uh, he's bay. Greg Norman's lead is down to two. Greg Norman's lead is down to one. Greg Norman is losing the match. You know, it's, it's pretty funny to go back and listen to them hour by hour. But on 11, when, when Norman is leaking oil royally, he hits the best second shot of the day, to my recollection, Spins it below. Now, the whole location was over on the left near the water that day on Sunday. Spins it almost like Spieth hit his approach. Missed a short putt for missed. It was like a four-footer and missed it. And then missed the comebacker. So he's got four feet to birdie and right the ship. And who knows if he goes on at that point buoyed by, by that bounce back. Instead, he three jacks it. And now it was. it almost seemed inevitable that he would hit in the water so i my first and last masters 20 years apart i witnessed the, the at least what i can recall as the two most shocking collapses so i wanted to transition yeah. quickly to um we've had a couple days danny willett has probably not slept very much uh probably no. having a pretty good time in his life right now he i did, imagine he did retweet a picture of him and spieth and butler cabin and it's the famous picture that people have been sending. Spieth has the blank look on his face. It almost looks like the straight-faced yellow emoticon on your iPhone, just staring off into the <laughs> distance. Uh, has to be the most uncomfortable Butler cabin moment ever, besides maybe when Mickelson congratulated Casey Wittenberg with the missed bro hug. But, you know, Willett retweets this. Somebody had said, we should put this picture up in Butler cabin next, next time. And Danny Willett retweets it. I want to say, was that a big deal, no deal, or kind of a deal? I told you this privately. My guess is he was seven or eight Heinekens, <laughs> you know, into his post-round celebration. That's that's a guess. He he may not be a Heineken man. I'm not sure, but uh, they now need to be a sponsor of this podcast. Exactly by the way, right. since that. hey Heineken, but, since uh, the Heinekens, we'll take them down. That's fine. Or at We're least okay at least it. a case of Heineken. Exactly. <laughs> but I, I would I would say one of two things could well it, it could be three things. It could be 
that he was didn't really know what he was doing. He just re, he's retweeting everything. He retweeted a million things right. during that stretch. The other thing is, I know what the person who, by the way, is wearing underwear hitting a golf shot in his avatar. So let's not overthink <laughs> what this guy's doing. Right. Um, not that all of us haven't done that at some point in our lives. And I would say that uh, that person clearly, in my opinion, clearly meant to say, look at the look at the the face that Jordan's making. Isn't this hilarious? The look he's giving. Right. Willett could have simply thought it's possible that Willett could have thought he meant let's make this presentation of the green jacket the program cover. Hey, I'm getting not even thinking about Steve. Right. Hey, I'm getting the green jacket. Yeah, that would make a good program cover. Good one. Or maybe he really did try to rub it in. I would be shocked, and I've been shocked before. I would be stunned if Danny Willett, in the aftermath of the biggest moment of his life, is trying to rub it in to Jordan Spieth. Right. I, I, you would have to. I would have to hear Danny Willett tell me. I would have to have him admit it before I, you could convince me of that. I, I totally agree. Okay, so I'm asking you. To and by more, the way, by but... the way, on that, on that note. This is the biggest non-issue ever, this right. idea that Spieth wasn't gracious enough. Give me a break. Uh, you know, you mentioned green jacket ceremonies. To me, what I thought of was Palmer in 61. Palmer doubles the 18th. He's the defending champion. He's about to win his second straight green jacket in third and four years. He doubles 18 and then has to go and present the green jacket to Gary Player, who on that very day, in fact, April 10th of 61, became the first international winner of the Masters. So to me, those are the two most uncomfortable green jacket presentations. And if the guy is vertical, then whatever face he makes is passable because how that guy could even stand there and not be completely beside himself or in tears is a miracle. And, and you know, I, I was thinking uh, when Dustin Johnson came out after the Whistling Straits debacle with the bunker and he came out, he, he went and took a shower, I believe, and he came out and talked to them uh -huh. for a few minutes. And I was like, he could, he didn't have to do that, obviously. And he came uh -huh. out and talked Did to the not. TV. And, and I mean, you know, this is a guy that has to be fuming. I mean, he had to have been, oh. if not fuming at himself, caddy, rules official, uh, the world, you know, and he comes out and talks for a few minutes. And I thought that was very impressive. He did it. I agree with you 100% on speed. I, I, I think this. I think he's going to be totally fine. He's going to take a few weeks to recover from this. He said it's going to be tough. Of course, it's going to be tough. He had his chance to win, uh, you know, a second green jacket in a row and and really put his stamp as the best player in the world without a doubt. And he wasn't able to do it, and it was because of a couple of bad swings. But I wanted to ask you a, a big deal, no no deal at all, or a little bit of a deal. Rory McIlroy's birdie free round playing alongside Jordan on Saturday. I, I told somebody, it's funny you say that. I told someone yesterday, um, our, our mutual buddy, Robert Lucetich, I said that Spieth's collapse on Sunday on the second nine, five shot lead with nine to play and you lose by three. I think it bails Rory McIlroy out for a, a weekend that is almost uh, – that's really difficult to explain and understand. Uh, McElroy began the weekend one shot off the lead. You know, a, a pair of 71s, albeit in very tough conditions Saturday, very scorable conditions uh, on Sunday, a pair of 71s, as it turns out, would have gotten into the playoffs. But anything around par Saturday gives him a great shot. And I'll tell you this, being where he was – 
even after the 77 wasn't out of it. He was only five shots back. And I thought, yes, I could see a 65 or 6 from Rory McIlroy. Absolutely. This is definitely doable. Uh, and instead, he, you know, he had another overpar round and, and was never, ever, 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 ever a factor on Sunday. Which you know, it, what, if, what, if he, what if he plays the first seven holes, eight holes in three under? Right. All of a sudden, he's one under for the tournament, and now he's there and able to capitalize if Speed stumbles. And I, I think Speed's, I think Speed's debacle at twelve. I really think his career-changing debacle at twelve. Um, I think it bails Rory out for a really, really disappointing and kind of deflating weekend. And, and now you're getting into a guy like McElroy who's now been at this thing for a while. It, hey, it, it's hard to win the Masters. Right. It is. It, it's hard to win. Finally, I wanted to ask you this. Um, you, you said you had a great story um, about your first Masters, and, uh, and I figured oh. it would be a good time to talk about it. So, 1996, <laughs> you talked about Fowler Norman. Of course, that's a, an amazing story in and of itself. But uh, you mentioned you had something uh, post-Masters that occurred to you that, that I, I can only imagine has to be a, a fairly entertaining situation. So, t- t- take us through uh, uh, 25, 25-year-old Grant Boone? Yeah, I'm 25-year-old Grant Boone. Uh, 20, uh, so in 1996, I'd have been 26. I was going to be 27 later that summer. So, yeah, I was, I was 26 years old. I was working at a radio network in Dallas. Uh, I kind of topped out as far as I could go there and, and uh, got credentialed to, do the, to, to follow the Masters. I was based in Dallas and, and got credentialed to cover the Masters. My very first one had grown up watching it, my favorite tournament like so many. And went to the Masters and met up with a good friend of mine who, who was also a member of the media. And while we're walking around, he says, you know they have a, a, a media lottery. I said, what are you, are you talking about? And he says, yeah, they, they pick 40 or 50 players, 40 or 50 members of the media to play, play Augusta National Monday morning. I was like, all right, this is candid camera. I'm, I'm being punked here. There's, this is long they're before not letting, They're not letting us out yeah. there on the golf course. There's no way. Why would they? Right. You know, it was it, – and, and uh, he said, no, no, I'll show you where it is. So you go and you throw your name in the hat and maybe you'll get chosen. Well, I didn't have my golf clubs. Uh, I didn't have anything except a 2 o'clock interview on Monday afternoon in Atlanta with CNN Sports. That's how long ago it was. And uh, they, th- this guy, Jim Walton, nice enough to, to give me an interview. I knew I was going to be there. I had my flight booked at 6.30 or 7 in Atlanta to fly back to Dallas on Monday night. So I would drive, leisurely drive back to, to Atlanta a couple of hours. So I, I throw my name in the hat. And sure enough, Saturday morning, they had the names on the board. Here are those who've been chosen to play Monday morning. They give you an envelope, and inside the envelope, it says, be at Augusta National. Congratulations, you've been chosen to play Augusta National Monday morning. Be at the front gate at 6.45 a.m. So Saturday at the Masters was a blowout. Norman is winning this thing by miles. And so I really, I'm following the Masters and following Norman and following, I went out to the golf course and phoned in my reports. But man, the only thing that mattered at that point was <laughs> finding some golf clubs. Didn't, that, didn't so have clubs with the, you. You had to go rentals? Didn't have my clubs. I didn't have my clubs. And, and I didn't even think that they would even have rentals at the golf course. So I, I went to a local golf shop, rented some clubs for whatever it was. Sunday happens. And it's the absolute 
worst scenario for everyone except Nick Faldo and Norman collapses. So in a daze, I'm thinking I've got to, I still, I've got to get my golf. I don't have any golf shoes. I've got to get some golf balls. I went to where anyone would go when they're looking for the finest in golf apparel and golf equipment, where else, but your local neighborhood Kmart. So I, I show up at 6:45 at Augusta national. And I, in my mind, this makes sense. I've got a rental car and all this. I play it. At, we, we get there at 645. Even if I don't go off till 715, 730, play four hours, hop in the car, drop the clubs off, hightail it for Atlanta, change clothes in the car, and then the interview at two, bingo. What possibly could go wrong? You show up and they, you go when they tell you. You're not going to barrel your way up to the front and say, let me play. You go when you're, you're, you're just amazed that you're even there. So they start calling out names here, in, and, and they didn't call my name, 7.30, 7.45, 8 o'clock. They still haven't called my name. I'm trying to kind of peek over the guy's shoulder to see where my name is. I don't see it. 8.45 is 9 o'clock. And now I'm like, I'm toast. I can't, get, I can't get in 18 holes and still make it by 2 to Atlanta. So now everyone listening to this is saying, how do you even consider keeping this interview at, at CNN? It, it's a no-brainer you do this. Right. You've got to, you've That's got what to, I'm thinking right so now. <laughs> I, so I call the guy at 9 o'clock, call Jim Walton. I figure he's at work by 9. I call him. I say, Jim, this is Grant Boone. I know uh, we're scheduled to meet at 2. Is it possible you have anything later than 2 o'clock, maybe 4 o'clock or so? He said, well, why do you ask? I say, I have a chance to play Augusta National this morning. And there's silence on the other end for like 10 seconds, which is, doesn't sound very long, but like on a phone call, it's like forever. He says, and you're still thinking about coming to this interview? And I said, yes, Jim, I, I, really, am, I really think this is, I, I could be a, a, an asset to CNN Sports. I really, really think that I could, I could uh, you know, really help. And I think this, we could be a good fit. So I'm Grant, I'm sorry. After I meet with you at two, I'm in meetings the rest of the day. I have nothing the rest of the day, but Grant, You've got to play. You and I can meet anytime. You've got to play Augusta National. I said, no, Jim, I'm, you've given me the interview. I'm going to honor that, and I'm going to, I'm going to keep it. I'll see you at 2 o'clock. He said, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to seeing you, but I really think you should play. I said, I'll see you at 2. So at 9.30, the guy says to me, you can go off one now, or you can wait until your turn comes up and go off 10. So I said – Look, of course, looking back, you just scrap the whole thing and say, I'm going to play the whole all 18. But at the time of 26 years old, looking for a gig, I say, I want to get in as many holes as possible. So I go off one, I play nine holes. And again, just like Norman, spin it off the, the, the green, same hole location this Sunday, by the way. Uh, although they didn't mow the greens that morning, thankfully, or else we'd still be there from 1996. <laughs> um, they, they, I spun it off the green, picked my ball up, walked off. And hopped in the car, changed clothes, took the clubs back. Well, you, you say it's two hours from Atlanta to Augusta. Really, it's 2.20. And by the time I get to the parking lot, go through Atlanta traffic, which this just in, there is. And, and by the time I get to his office, it's 2.35. So now I'm sweaty. I'm embarrassed. I'm late. He's very gracious. He says, come on in. We sat in his office for Less than 10 minutes, he took the, the tape that I'd brought him, these bulky old three-quarter-inch videotapes with, with all of my finest work on it, 
he says, I'll take a look at it. And, uh, you know, and, and if we like what we see, I'll give you a call. Never hear from him again. Not that I should have. It was, it, it was me who wanted the interviews. Right. It wasn't like I, it was, I was a finalist for something. But so I walk off. And, and, and then years later, uh, 2004 at Whistling's, 2004 is a big year to cap off this story. 2004, I'm, I'm at uh, Whistling Straits at the PGA working for Turner and, and doing PGA.com, par three coverage. They tell us we can play. I knew ahead of time, actually, we could play the Monday after the PGA at Whistling Straits. Well, it was my kid's first day of school. I played nine holes at Whistling Straits and walked off and headed back and got an earlier flight to get home so I could be there when they got home from their first day of school. So uh, that that meant that I am halfway toward the walk-off Grand Slam. <laughs> I'm trying to think. we got and a new I can't pebble front wait. nine. I can't wait to walk off after nine at media day at the U.S. Open and the Open Championship. That's, exactly That's all right. I need for a walk-off Grand Slam. But the, but the, 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 the final coda to that story is that uh, it, later in 2004, I, I was uh, very fortunate to have uh, become friends with a member of Augusta National. He brought me uh, and my uncle Pat Boone, uh, the, the singer Pat Boone, and we played Augusta National. We played 45 holes in October, and it was – plus the par three course, and it was magnificent. And so I, I finally did get to play the second nine at Augusta National. Some years later. That's, a, that's an incredible story. Again, I'm not sure if I think you're a complete idiot for not playing the whole 18, or if I respect you honoring the interview more. I love, I love thinking about both, but um, that, is, that is so amazing. <laughs> I, it's just, you know, it's one of those things when you look back on it, you go, what in the heck did I just do? <laughs> uh, believe me. <laughs> yeah, I will say this. And first of all, uh, I think human consciousness has evolved to the point that, that we're less about the either or and we're more about the both and. You can be a complete idiot, and I am. Uh, but you also, <laughs> and you can be honorable. I, I really did feel like, what would I feel worse about? Missing a chance to possibly get a, a better job, you know, or, or miss playing Augusta National. And uh, in, in reality, probably I should have said, Jim, could we speak on the could, could we visit on the phone, you know, uh, or something like that. And of course, then I thought back later, it, it, it sounds kind of funny, but I think it's also there's an outside chance this is true. Why would a, a guy heading up a sports broadcasting network hire someone? who doesn't take advantage of the chance to play Augusta National. He must have thought if he knew anything about sports, <laughs> he would cancel this interview and play Augusta National. Clearly, he knows nothing, which was not totally true. But uh, you know what? It all worked out. It all worked out. And let me just tell you, I, I, I think you did a fantastic job um, all week long. I always think you do a fantastic job with everything you do. It's been a lot of fun chatting. I, I really have enjoyed... Um, the ups and downs and the craziness of the last oh, 72 hours or so. I mean, uh, you know, from uh, a 22-year-old making history to uh, us talking about Danny Willett and what happened to Jordan Spieth, I think that the buildup, I think we're 64 days from Oakmont, and the buildup there uh, will obviously include both of those names quite a bit. I, I appreciate you coming on so much. And people can find your work and find you um, all over the place. Where, where, where will we see you next? Yeah, uh, I'll, I've got several events for Golf Channel coming up. I'm doing web.com tour and some LPGA and some PGA tour. 
Uh, our web.com tour domestic coverage begins in Evansville later this month, the United Leasing Championship. Defending champion probably won't be there. Smiley Kaufman, uh, <laughs> who played in the final pairing on Sunday. And then I'll do some LPGA um, events. I'll be doing the memorial for PGATour.com. Of course, you've got this this uh, this crammed this crammed in uh, schedule because of the Olympics. And by the way, uh, w- with all of this, uh, with all the talk of, of Spieth, you know, really not perhaps not managing his schedule as wisely as he could have, that's going to really come into sharper focus as the year goes on. When you've got all of these uh, big events compressed, uh, I-, I really think he's going to have to not play some events that he feels obligated to play, like uh, you know the 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 Valero, uh, the, the, you know, the, the colonial, he feels obligated like he owes it. And by the way, here's my parting thought on speed. He, we've heard a lot of players through the years, Shane say that when they lost, they felt like they let down, you know, their wives or their kids or whatever, or their coaches or, you know, friends. I really think that's part of what's going on with speed. He is such a, of course he's not married, but he, he's such a wee guy. He is so closely knit with his family. Michael Greller is more than just a caddy for him. Cameron McCormick is, is a dear person to him. He, he is a we guy. He is a team guy in an individual sport. And I really think that's some of the, the sadness of this for him. I think, and, and I don't think he, I think he needs to be careful overdoing this thought. But I do think there is an element with him that, that he let his team down. Right. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch how he rebounds from that because, no offense, I, don't, I really don't mean this as a knock, I don't think Tiger ever once thought, I let down Steve Williams or I let down anybody when I lost at Hazeltine or any of these other chances he had. It was, I made a mistake, I, I blew a chance to win a major and get closer to Jack. So I think it'll be fascinating to watch Speedy uh, rebound from this. Love the kid. Uh, you know, Jason Day's had some chances to win majors late and didn't, but you wouldn't really say he's he's given it away. McElroy and Spieth have now given majors away, uh, and and all it means is is that they're human. Uh, and and uh, and now we'll see how they respond. But it sure is going to be fun to follow and to watch. Well, I'm excited for it. Again, thanks so much for coming on. We will we'll have you on maybe after the PGA and chat a little bit more golf. Okay. Sounds good. See you, Shane. Well, that was a lot of fun. Uh, It's been a crazy, obviously, 2016 Masters, crazy last couple of days. Uh, Unexpected finish, but uh, still one we'll be talking about for a long, long time, I believe, and one that leads us into uh, not only the rest of the PGA Tour season, but a a really, really compact major uh, run that'll start at Oakmont, where we'll be, and we'll be pumping out a lot of podcasts from there as well. But that'll do it from us this week. You can, of course, follow us at the Clubhouse Pod. Use the hashtag ClubhouseSB if you want to send us anything or if you want to send us any thoughts, suggestions, questions. I've had a few questions on where we can find the podcast outside of iTunes. If you have those, send it over to the clubhouse with Shane Bacon at gmail.com. I'll respond to all those emails you send over. And uh, and that'll do it from Augusta. So uh, have a good week and we'll be back next week.